It's not about the amount, it's about the proportion. It's about the proportion that we give that God is looking at. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler and together with my wife, children and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West online and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. We are busy working our way through the book of 2 Corinthians, the letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Um, before we start, I just want to give a quick praise report. Harvey, who couldn't preach last week because he didn't feel well, we prayed for him. He's here today, feeling much better. Thank you, God. Amen. We celebrate every prayer request answered in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Today, I want to talk to you about 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, and, the, and the, the heading for today is, we get to give. We get to give. Because I know you guys are so excited about giving. You're generous. You're faithful. So I know I'm preaching to the choir today, right? <laughs> but this is such a powerful couple of chapters. Um, it's and, and Paul dedicates a lot of time to this. And we know from our study of Romans and looking back on how things worked back then, it, it was very expensive to write and send a letter. So when he included something in a letter, it was for a very specific reason. And he spends, you know, for us now, he didn't have chapters, but in our looking at the Bible, there are two quite long chapters dedicated to giving. And talking to the church of Corinth about this. And, and then what you'll see today is that what he's discussing with them, he discusses with other churches as well. And what it is all about is this one big offering that he is taking up for the church in Jerusalem. And we're going to talk about that today. So first of all, I want to just find out from you, how, how many of you, you love to give? You're just a generous person. You're like in your happy space when you get to give something. All right. How many of you love to receive a gift? <laughs> Anyone that doesn't like receiving a gift? Any? <laughs> all right. Who struggles receiving a compliment? That's a different story. Some people are like, no, 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 don't compliment me. But there's, there's something about giving there's a, there's a part of it that some of us do it because it makes us feel good, right? Then there's a giving that actually costs us something and we do it out of obedience. And then there's that extra level where you get to that place where you do it even if it costs you because you're obedient and you do it with joy. And that's a level of maturity that I believe God wants us to step into as believers, amen? Because our God, how many of you know our God is a generous God? How do we know this? John 3.16, for God loved the world, for God so loved the world that he gave. He is generous. He is a giver. Amen. So we know this. 
All right, so we're going to jump into these chapters. We're going to do a lot of Bible reading today. It will feel like a Bible study, and it's going to be awesome because it's the Word of God. How many of you believe that the Bible is the Word of God? And the rest of you? Nice storybook. I believe some of it. Let's try that again. How many of you believe the Word of God is the Word of God? Amen? All right. So when we read it, we know that it's Holy Spirit inspired. And we know that we as the church now can read this and by the leading of the Holy Spirit, we can be taught, we can be trained, we can be rebuked. We can be, I like the fancy word, admonished. And we can be encouraged and we can be inspired and we can be equipped. Amen? That's what the Word of God is for. It's a two-edged sword that cuts through bone and marrow. So if you are here today and you hear some stuff that goes, ah, Ena, that means it's working. All right? Amen? How many of you want to grow in Christ Jesus? Anyone? How many of you want to stay exactly the same? You like being comfortable? Good. <laughs> All right. So we're going to jump into 2 Corinthians from chapter 8, verse 1. It says, Paul is talking, he says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, and yes, they be even beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. That saints is referring to the saints in Jerusalem, the church in that area. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord. But they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. Sure, this is so powerful. Now, we're going to just stop there for a moment and, and, and reflect on what we just read. So he says, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So he's referring to a couple of churches from that area that they are going through a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and the deep poverty abound in the riches of, of their liberality. Now, to most people, when you read that fast, they're like, what does that even mean? So, first of all, notice this. It says, Paul is talking to a church in Corinth, okay? A pagan church. They, were, they all were, weren't Jews. They are Gentiles who got saved, the Corinth church. But they are rich. They are doing well. They are thriving. And... He is talking to them as he is with other churches as well. Now he's talking about the churches in Macedonia as an example to them, to inspire them, to encourage them, and, and to give them a bit of a push, let's be honest, to do what they committed to do, to give to the church in Jerusalem. Now he's saying, I want to make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So there's a grace of God that has been given, that has been bestowed upon these other churches. And the, this grace had a, for, uh, something came from this grace that was given. And that, then we read, it says that the, uh, right in the midst of a great trial of afflictions, 
two things abounded. So because of the grace of God, in the middle of things that they're going through, two things come out. So it says, in the midst of a great trial of affliction. Does that sound nice? No, it's they are going through something very challenging, a great trial of afflictions. It says, but in the midst of this trial, two things abounded, exploded, erupted in the riches of their liberality. And it says, it's the abundance of their joy and the depth of their poverty. Have you ever read those two ideas together? Abundance of joy, deep poverty. It looks to me like this church, the churches in Macedonia, understood something about what James wrote when he said, count it all joy when trials of various kinds come your way. So that in the middle of a trial of great affliction, this church was joyful. Uh, Not just joyful, they were overjoyed while they were in deep poverty. Now you get poor and then you get very poor and then you get deeply poor. (laughs) They are deeply poor. Now listen to this. God's grace that was bestowed upon them that are in the middle of a trial that they have nothing from the world's perspective they are struggling themselves but they have joy and the grace of God is that they receive it's bestowed upon them an opportunity to give you have to listen to these circumstances and the gift that God has given them they realized that even as a poor, struggling church themselves, that giving to the work of God is something they get to do. They get that this is an opportunity. And they basically said to Paul, hey, come on, let us in on this. We want to be part of this giving to the church of Jerusalem. We heard about you getting all these tithes and offerings and things together for the church in Jerusalem. We have to be a part of it. We want to get to give. God has bestowed a grace upon us that we see this as an opportunity. How many of you have ever had that attitude in the middle of a heavy trial of affliction where you had nothing, you were overflowed with joy and you couldn't wait to give? Anyone? That's your knee jerk, your first reaction when you're in a tough, start, tough, tough place. Let me find a way to give to God's kingdom. That is a level of Christian maturity that we do not see often. But it is what God is calling us into. Paul says, according to their ability, but even beyond their ability, they, they urged and pleaded with Paul and the others that they can be part of this offering on their ability and beyond their ability to give. This reminds us of the the scene where Jesus was looking at people putting offerings into the box at the temple. And you could see that many were giving abundantly. They were giving a lot. And then there was this one old woman who put in two mites. Now, I'm not exactly sure what it translates to in rands and cents today. But those two mites in American dollar terms comes to an eighth of a one cent, a dollar cent. It's by men. That's what the woman put into the box. And Jesus said that she's given more 
than all of these other people. Why? Because she gave everything she had. It's not about the amount, it's about the proportion. It's about the proportion that we give that God is looking at. Now, the next sentence he says, they first, everybody say first, first gave themselves. They first gave themselves to the Lord. Step one, in living a godly, generous life is giving of oneself to the Lord. I give myself to you, it's all about you, it's all for you. He says, and then to the apostles by the will of God. What do we learn from this? When we position ourselves to put God first, honor for God's ministers will follow. Why were they able to also submit, to also give themselves to the ministers of God? Are you with me? Okay, why were they also able to do that? Because they already gave themselves to God and God sent these men of God. So because I've already humbled myself, gave myself to God, I can now humble myself and honor the men of God that he has sent. And that is by the will of God, okay? And because he honors God's ministers and what will follow, what will follow out of this is supernatural generosity by faith, So I first give myself to God, I honor the men of God, and now all that I want to do is get to give. Can you see that, the connection? You guys are very quiet today, you're with me? All right. True, biblical, godly generosity and giving starts with the giving of oneself. I'm gonna say that again. True biblical godly generosity and giving starts by the giving of yourself. The surrendering of my own will, my own way, everything I am to God's kingdom, His ways and His will. Would you agree? The giving to the saints refers, as I said, to the church in Jerusalem. We could refer to them as the mother church from where all the Gentile churches were planted. Because from Jerusalem, and the one other big sending church of the time was the church in Antioch. So from the Jerusalem church and the Antioch church, people were sent out to plant other churches to evangelize. And we know from the book of Acts that the Jerusalem church was birthed the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and Peter got up and preached. 3,000 people came to Jesus that day, got baptized with water, baptized with the Holy Spirit and joined the local church, which is how we know what the pattern of the church should be. Amen? Now, remember when we did the book of Romans, we discovered that the church in Rome was planted by Jews who were at the day of Pentecost. The book of Acts mentioned these Jewish believers from Rome. They got saved at the day of Pentecost. They went back to Rome and they planted, by all we can see, that they were the ones who planted the Roman church, which then became the church to which Paul wrote. Now the Jerusalem church, at this time, when Paul was writing to them, they were struggling. They were going through a very, very tough time. So it seems like where normally a church would raise funds for missions to go out, 
that we're almost seeing here that Paul is now raising funds from the churches that were planted by the mother church to take it back to them. This church in Jerusalem has blessed you, brought the good news to you. Now we're going to give back. Amen? That's what Paul is doing. Why? The reasons why the church in Jerusalem was struggling, from what I could find out, is one, people didn't have jobs anymore. Many of them lost their jobs because many of the jobs at the time were uh, linked to the, te- to the work in and outside the temple. And now, and the temple was run by Sadducees. And the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. Now you've got a whole bunch of Christians running around preaching the gospel, telling them about the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the Sadducees are like, you're fired. You're fired, you're fired, get out of here. So suddenly, massive loss of jobs because the business side of the temple was now cut off from all the Christians. Also, we heard that in Acts 2, that we also mentioned earlier today, that all the Christians sold everything they had and they divided it among themselves, right? Now, the, the, from what I could find out, they, they reckon that over time, these funds and these resources started to deplete and it was getting a little tight. And the one thing that was pushing it was the third reason for the poverty was a massive famine in the land. And this famine was actually prophesied in Acts 11 by Agabus, a prophet. So now we know that the, why the church in Jerusalem needs this. There's a real need, and Paul is taking up this big offering. One other place that we can see that he talks about this, we actually read it recently, Romans 15 from verse 25. I don't have it on the screen. I'm just going to read it to you quickly. He says, but now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints, for it pleased those from Macedonia. I almost said Macedonia. It pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. Listen to this. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. What is he saying? Because the... Because the Jerusalem church blessed all these Gentile churches with the spiritual food of the good news, it's now time for them to bless Jerusalem materially. Amen? Are we following? All right, we pick it up in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 6. So we urged Titus that as he had begun, so he would also complete this grace in you as well. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. Now we saw in the beginning, he said that God bestowed a grace upon the churches of Macedonia to give. You with me? Now he's talking about grace twice. He says Titus, um, he sent them He sent Titus to complete this grace in you as well. So when do you have to complete something? When it's not finished. But what does completion imply? Something has already started. All right. Now, 
keep that in mind. We're going to see where this comes from. Because Paul reveals that he's already spoken to them in the previous letter about giving. And they were supposed to get all these funds together. And it, it started, but now he's now trying to convince them to keep going with the giving. And that's where this all ties in. He says, but as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you also abound in this grace. So he's saying, listen guys, you, Corinthian church, you're doing so well. All these areas I can compliment you on. You're amazing. But you can still grow in the grace of giving. Interesting thing, Macedonian churches also struggling. He uses them as an example for Corinth, a church that's thriving. They were in a very rich city, doing well. And it does seem in general, and I think we can agree, sometimes the most generous people are the people who don't have so much. And sometimes the ones who struggle to give are the ones who have a lot. Not always, but in some circumstances. And this is kind of what you start to pick up on. Now, in then he says, I don't speak this as a commandment, but I'm testing the sincerity of your love by the diligence of others. That sentence sounds a little different in the New Living Translation. It says, I'm not commanding you to do this. In other words, I'm not commanding you to give the gift that you've already committed to give, but I'm testing how genuine your love is, comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. For you know the grace, there's that word again, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Wow. So he's saying that, listen, I'm going to send Titus to help you to get to that place where you step further into this grace of giving. And, but I want you to know that I'm not forcing you to do this. You're not being commanded to do this. But then he says, I, all I'm doing is I'm telling you what Macedonia is doing. And I'm just kind of, you know, comparing their love and their giving to yours. <laughs> so, I, I read an article on this because... To our modern eyes, as we read this, it might sound like Paul is kind of manipulating them. That there's a level of coercion happening here. But the resource that I found said that even though it may seem like this, it is just, it is actually not that. He is a, an apostle who had received a commitment from them and he is keeping them accountable. And at the same time, he's reminding them of the principle of the grace of God that empowers us to give, that opens up the opportunity to give. So this is a moment where he's teaching this church on giving for the kingdom. And that is how we should see it. But I do, I do get a little smile when I read this part and I see how Paul's like, you don't, you don't have to give, you know. But this poor church in Macedonia, they, you know, they're doing really well. And you're doing well in all these areas. But, you know, you, can't, you can do better on the giving side. Anyway. But this thing that he refers to about Jesus is so powerful. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. What does he mean by that? 
I want to tell you now by another scripture. Yet for our sakes he became poor, that you, the church of Jesus, through his poverty, through Jesus' poverty, might become rich. All right? Now, let's read Philippians 2 from verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, listen, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even to the death on a cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and of those in heaven and those on earth, and of those under the sea, under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus became poor how by humbling himself from his position in heaven to be born as a human not just a human a poor human he was born to blue collared worker kind of people how do we know this at the time the law said that when you have a boy that is born, a firstborn, the offering that should be taken to the temple is that of a, of a, a lamb or a, something more expensive. If you can't afford that, then you can take two turtle doves. And when we read in Matthew about Joseph and Mary bringing Jesus to the priest, they had two turtle doves. So they were poor in the eyes of the world. He was born in a borrowed manger. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He didn't have money in this world, in this realm. But the poor nature of Jesus that this refers to is not monetary only. It is about what he gave up in order to enrich us with everything that heaven has to offer. He exchanged his heavenly home so that we can go to his heavenly home. Amen? That's what our Jesus did. So when Paul says to this church, though he was rich for our sakes, he became poor. That you through his poverty might become rich. And he is talking about money, but he's talking about so much more. Jesus gave it all so that we can have it all. Sure. And in the next verse he says, and in this I give advice. It is to your advantage not only to be doing what you began and were desiring to do a year ago, but now you also must complete the doing of it. That as there was a readiness to desire it, so there also may be a completion out of what you have. For, it, for if there is first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what he does not have. They made a commitment. How many of you know that Jesus says to us, do not swear by anything. Do not swear by the moon or the stars or anything that you can see. Let your yes be your 
Yes, and your no be your no. Paul is saying to them, you guys, you guys made a commitment. And I'm just reminding you. They made a commitment a year ago to take up a regular offering. And the one verse, it seems like a weekly offering that they committed to take up and build it up until Paul would come and then give him the whole offering so that he can take it to the church in Jerusalem. That he's reminding them of their commitment. In this, we are all challenged to follow Jesus' teaching and let our yes be our yes and our no be our no. If we have made a commitment to give, if we have made a commitment to serve, to be part of something, our yes should be our yes. Amen? Let it not be necessary for someone to come up to you and say, hey, did, did you not say that you will be part of this, help here, give this? Let us be sons and daughters of God who can be trusted by what we say we will do. Amen? He continues to say, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality, as it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left, and he who gathered little had no lack. So he is saying, I am not asking you to give to the point that you don't have so that there may be equality. But he's like, brothers and sisters, this church, that without them, you wouldn't exist. They are going through a really tough time. Give what you can. He's already told them that the Macedonian church who's poor has given above their ability. So he's definitely planted that seed to challenge them. But he says, I'm not, I'm not asking you to give so much that you are now burdened, that you don't have enough. I'm just asking that you give what you can so that they can be blessed. And he says, and also, there might be a time where you are in need and they can supply. And that is also an equality thing. There is some who think that he's speaking practically but also spiritually. So practically, he says, listen, give while you can because they are in need. Because there might be a day where it's switched around, where you are in need and they are they are blessed and can give to you. So practically, you know, give while you can. Spiritually, it could mean that he is saying you should bless them materially so that that church can keep on blessing you spiritually by praying for you, by sending help on, on the mission that you're on. Amen? All right. But thanks, no, you continue reading. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent him with the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show our ready mind avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. What is he saying? We are accountable. We have Titus and one other brother that we can trust so that when we are traveling with this massive gift, no one can point fingers and say to us, oh, you're taking it for yourself. No, we have a system of accountability. We have people that can be 
okay, keep an eye, and we can all help each other to stay trusted. Amen? And this is very important for any church, any ministry to have, is a system of transparency and accountability. And then he continues and says, and we have sent with them our brother whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. He's talking to the church in Corinth. We've got confidence in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the church, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. The reason I'm reading all of this, you might think like, wow, why are we reading the whole chapter? Is because we see here practically the first church and how they operated in terms of relationship, in terms of dealing with challenging circumstances, in terms of communicating with different churches. And we can learn from all of this. There's such a grace in the way that Paul is communicating. And talking about Titus, and you know, he starts this part out by saying, listen, we, we were going to ask Titus to go and, and, and talk to you and take this offering, but he insisted to go. He loves you guys so much. He wants to be there. So you see all of these, they're talking about all these beautiful things. And at the same time, teaching them about giving, teaching them about accountability and how these things should operate. Amen? Are you with me? Okay. So... This idea, this whole push for this gift to the church in Jerusalem continues now in chapter 9. He says, Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness, about which I boast of to the Macedonians, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Okay, so he's really encouraging them. He told, he says to them, how great the Macedonians are. So he's boasting to Corinth about Macedonian churches. And now he's saying to Corinth, hey, I'm boasting to Macedonia about how amazing you are. And you're actually the guys who got this all going. So it's really cool to see he's bringing all these ministries together in a way. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. <laughs> so, once again, Paul is like, hey, I've been telling Macedonia that you guys are amazing, that you've got this massive gift and that you're ready. Please make sure that gift that I've been boasting about is ready so that you are not embarrassed and that I am not embarrassed. <laughs> Can you see that? I just... This is, I'm seeing a little bit of Paul's, like his personality, his character coming through here. I think it's amazing. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised. AKA, we are going to make sure that you do what you said you'll do. <laughs> so I'm just going to send them ahead <laughs> to make sure that it's happening that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. So here again, what I'm seeing, even though it could look to us, it's a little manipulative. What I'm seeing is a gracious pastoral heart that's saying, hey, I've been journeying with you for a while. You made a commitment. I can see there's been a bit of a hiccup. It's not really coming together the way that we 
we uh, said it will. I'm going to send some guys to just help you to get to this place. All right. Because what you don't want is for us to get there and you look surprised that today is the day of collection. And then you're like, oh, shucks. And then your whole attitude is begrudging. You don't want to give this. You're not ready to give this. You're not in a good space. So I'm sending people to you to just help you through this process to get it ready. It's a lot of effort and time and energy spent on a gift. Do you think this is important to Paul? Now, if it's important to Paul, it should be important to the church. And if it's important to that church, shouldn't it be important to us today? This principle, amen? But this I say, and this is someone, this is a, a scripture that many know very well in the Christian world. But I don't know if everyone knows the context that we just read for this verse. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Do you hear that again? Grace abound. Grace bestowed. The grace is to give. The grace is the opportunity to give. God is able to make all grace abound to you that you, so what does the grace of God do? It helps us to be able to give. Do you see that? We need His grace to be generous. Always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Wow. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. That is a quote from Psalm 112. Psalm 112 starts off by saying, praise the Lord, blessed is the man who fears the Lord and who delights greatly in obeying his commandments. And one of the attributes of such a man is he has dispersed abroad. In other words, he has sown abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. And he is referring to that and now putting that principle on a church. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. You you're giving to the church, but you're also giving to God. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God. So the people that you give to are going to react by glorifying God. For the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them in all men. They're going to glorify God because you heard the gospel because they sent people out to proclaim the gospel. You got saved and now because you got saved, you got the grace to give. You have given to them. So they see two things. You've been saved. Glory to God. You have blessed them. Glory to God. <laughs> this is so good. And for you, 
and for your liberal sharing with them and all men, and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his incredible gift. He has given us grace to give. The grace of God bestowed upon the church is the opportunity to sow into ministry, to sow into other ministries. It is the opportunity to say we get to give. I cannot wait to give. I cannot wait to be a part of what God is doing. Amen? And the principles are so powerful. You can... You can read this and stand upon this. How do we know this? Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So what is the substance? Because if I don't have substance, I can't hope. The substance is the word of God or a word from God. Now the word of God says, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Okay, God, I'm gonna stand on your word. I'm gonna sow bountifully and believe and trust that I will reap bountifully. But if I only have a monetary head about this, I will miss out on what God is doing. Because when he talks about Christ's rich, richness and poorness and our poorness and rich, richness that we get through Christ, he's not talking only about money. In first and foremost, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven, being a part of it, having access to it, the eternal life, heaping up treasures in heaven. That's what he's talking about. Amen? Are you with me? So when I sow bountifully, the, the reaping is not me getting the car that I wanted or only that or the house or the whatever it might be. It is me knowing that because I'm sowing bountifully into a ministry of God, that people are getting saved, people are getting healed, the kingdom of God is advancing, I'm reaping that. Amen? What if, we, what if the church of Christ had a massive mind shift and actually does what the word of God says and we, re, we, we sow so generously trusting God for the, for the harvest of souls, for the harvest of the ministry on the other side of our seed. Amen? Come on. And then there's still the grace because Paul says, so, in other words, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. In other words, you have a choice. Because the next sentence starts with so. In other words, because of what I just said, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. What does this mean? It means that you now know the principle. Now you pray. You say, God, how must I give? And that which comes up in your heart, that's now the purpose that you give with. And you don't do it begrudgingly or out of necessity, I have to give. You do it with joy. Remember the Macedonian church? They were struggling with heavy affliction and in the midst of that, they, had, they were abounding in joy and deep poverty. Are you in deep poverty? Some of you might feel like you are. But if you are any place that you've got a, a roof over your head, something to eat, 
a vehicle of some kind and running water, you are actually in the top 5% of the richest people in the world. And we have something that we can give. Amen? God, what do you want me to give? Maybe you only have the two mites, like the woman. And that's everything that you have to give. And if you give your everything, God will bless that. And there will be a bountiful harvest because you sowed bountifully in proportion to where you are. Amen? And that is what he's calling them to do. Do what God says to the extent to which you can and let it cost you because then we see the blessing of God flow. There's a principle in the Bible that's so powerful. When David was gonna build the temple, he wanted to buy a piece of land. And he went to the owner and said, I wanna build the temple on this land. And the owner said, it's for, it's for God, it's for the temple, you can have it. He said, no, I wanna pay for it. He said, no, 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 it's for God, it's for you, you're the king, seriously, you can have it. And David says, no. If it doesn't cost me something, it is not worth God's, me honoring God in this place. It has to cost me something. And David got something about that principle. And we need to get it as well. If we, you know, that's the other thing that Jesus noticed about the woman with the mites. She was giving sacrificially. Others were giving out of abundance. They could give a lot that looked like they are giving a lot, but they still had way more at home or in the bank. It's not about the amount is about the proportion. Is this costing you? Do you feel it? Is it a bit of a, inner? But I'm not doing it grudgingly or out of necessity. I'm doing it because God has said this in my heart. I've purposed in my heart to do this because of how God has led me. Amen? So, we have read this today. We have seen that We've been called to be generous as the church of God. We can see that it's a serious matter when it comes to the church looking after the church. Amen? And that the ability to give, the willingness to give, is actually linked to a grace from God that's bestowed upon us. Why? Because it takes something supernatural above the natural, the norm, to be able to give this way. Would you agree? So the grace of God empowers, enables us to give the way that we read about in these two chapters. Now as I was preparing and praying about this, I couldn't help but be so overwhelmed by God's timing of what he has led us to study at this time. I didn't know when we started this series on 2 Corinthians that war will break out in Israel and that Jerusalem will be under attack. And I didn't know that we would get to these two chapters this week. This is by God's design. And even though we are a small church plant in Somerset West, all the way here in Cape Town at the southern point of Africa. I just know that I know that God wants us through this scripture to be obedient today and to once again 
like Paul asked the church, that we would decide as the church of Christ to bless the church in Jerusalem, where it all started, where we all actually come from in some way. Because from Jerusalem, after the day of Pentecost, the word of God spread to the corners of the world. Why? Because of persecution. And that's how we got to hear the word of God as well. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast, Message of the Week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.